Is your microphone on now? It's on. She didn't have her microphone on in the first service, and it's not true, it was kind of awkward. Actually. Not true. I mean, I thought it was awkward. Hey, I'm Pastor Allison. I'm our kids' pastor. If you don't know who I am, um, I serve with our kids down the hallway, and it's my joy. And I thank you, who are parents who bring them, because I would not have a job without you. So, uh, no, honestly, truly, thank you for being. We just want to welcome you to MRCC this morning, and thank you for just being a part of your church family. And, um, you know, I turn the microphone on. And my name is Tyler. I'm our (laughs) youth pastor here at MRCC. So, we get to hang out with all of your kids all the time. And I see why you drop them off with us all the time. I'm kidding. I'm kidding for most of you. There's a lot of energy going on back there. I'm telling you, we have a lot of fun. Our worship is a little different back there than it is up here. Um, And you should come and check it out sometime. As a matter of fact, oh, just kidding. Um, There are a few things coming on the schedule. We are really just here to share some announcements with you. And um, and there is a really full October coming ahead of us. Uh, If you are new to our church. starting tonight. Yes, (laughs) today. All month. I'm telling you, there's something going on every week, all month. And if you are new uh, and you've been maybe attending for a while, but uh, and you consider this your church home, this MRCC is your church home, but have not been a part of our membership classes, that's what starts tonight is our membership classes. It's three Sundays in a row. Uh, We just want to invite you to come. You can sign up online, but you could also just show up. Just come and be with us and and just hear more of the heart of your church and this this home that you have made your church home. We'd love to have you. Yeah, Yeah. and then on uh, kind of the youth side of things, we have our next-gen conference coming up on October 13th and 14th. Uh, The cost is $60. You do have to register online. Um, Let me tell you, one of my absolute favorite memories of youth conference actually had nothing to do with the youth conference. It was driving back from the youth conference at like 2 o'clock in the morning, and there were two vans driving side-by-side down I-5, and um, we were throwing chocolate chip cookies between the vehicles. And one hit me in the face, and I was like, I don't know anything about what happened at youth conference, but I know that I got hit in the face with the chocolate chip cookie at youth conference, kind of. And so it has always been uh, a core memory that I have. But uh, youth conference, it is. Traumatized forever. That's why I'm gluten free now. I mean, it's just that's it. That's it. No, uh, but it is it is an overnighter, so we are going to stay here at the church, and we just want your students to sign up. We're going to have amazing speakers and awesome worship, and uh, yeah, so that comes up really really quickly. And if you want more information, please don't hesitate. Give me a call, and I will gladly give that to you. You know, I I found out in first service, however, that it was while he was a youth student. I I was like, yeah, I wasn't driving. driving. I was not in charge of this event. So that event. means that maybe your dad was in charge of this event. No, it wasn't him. Oh, even before pre-dad days. Yes, it was. Okay. Well, so we know who not to blame. All right. But we're so thankful, though, that the kids get opportunities like this. And it's so true. Some of the memories they make, um, some, what I tell our leaders often is our kids might not remember everything we say, but they will remember how they felt. Yep. And how did you feel? Loved, injured, injured, <laughs> cared for. <laughs> those, those are those are core memories that hold on to us for a long time because in the end it really was a good memory. Yeah. Um, but also coming up, ladies, uh, on October fourteenth, uh, we're going to do a simulcast. It's right here at MRCC, so you don't even have to go anywhere, but come close to home. And I cannot say her name. It's Priscilla. Shire. See, everybody says this. it a little different. Yes, it's like the Shire in the Lord of the Rings. That's Shire. how you. Is that are... how you say it for real? Yeah. Shire. Okay. I want to put an extra R in there every time, so I try and say Shirarer. It's a and silent I, I, R. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, but we are going to have this. It's just a great opportunity, ladies, to come together uh, and just be encouraged together by her teaching. Uh, but also, we'll have lunch together. We'll share some time together. It'll be absolutely a great time to come together as ladies in fellowship together. Yeah. 
And then to wrap up our uh, October, so I can't believe we're already talking about the end of October, but we are coming up on October 29th is baptisms. It's water baptism. So if you have decided to publicly declare your faith in front of your family and friends and everyone here at MRCC, uh, that is the day to do it. And so signups are at the guest center or online. We just ask a few questions as far as like what size, what size shirt you want because we give you a cool shirt and what service you want to get baptized in. And I'm assuming since you're in second service, second service is where you want to get baptized. So uh, those are just a few questions that we, we ask. And so we're excited to have you sign up for that. Oh, yeah. We want to celebrate with you yeah. here at your church. Yeah, it's just, it is one of our favorite Sundays. We bring the kids in and everything. Uh, it's just a beautiful time to celebrate with our church family. So you can sign up also at the Guest Center. Online is awesome. Uh, but if you don't like the online version, feel free to head to the Guest Center for any of this and ask them more questions, get more details, ask us uh, anything that you need to. And uh, we are just so thankful you're here. Uh, we also want to encourage you, if you want to know anything else, there is a table out in the foyer where we're always there in between services. If you want to just join, uh, become a part of a group at MRCC or join a team at MRCC. There's just anything. We, we want you to feel like this is your home. There's lots of ways to be connected. So just come and come and talk to us. Yeah. yeah. And if you want to open your Bible this morning, we'll be in Luke chapter 15. Thank you, Pastor Allison. Thank you, Pastor Tyler. They'll be here all week. Tip your waiter uh, if you would. Um, yeah. It's good to see you this morning, church. It's good to be with you and just know this. That each time we come together to worship the Father and to, to love and serve one another, God just delights in that. And it won't be very long before we're home. Who's ready to be home? <laughs> yeah, amen. We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Special welcome to everybody who's joining us online this morning. We're thrilled that you're with us today as well. You are us, and it's great to be with you. Luke chapter 15 this morning, church, and uh, we're going to continue our journey through Luke's gospel together. We started back at the beginning of the year. We're going to finish by the end of the year. And remember, the reason we're doing this is because Jesus said that that we should watch out for false prophets. What does that mean? It means people who are talking about Jesus, but it's not the real Jesus. It's a made-up one. It's an invented one. Today, we would call it a deep fake, and Jesus says, watch out for that, and it's easy to do that. He said, if you always pay attention to the real me, the Jesus of Scripture, you'll be able to recognize the false one, and so we're spending this whole year walking through Luke's gospel together, and this morning, we're in chapter 15, beginning with uh, verse 11 today. I, I want to thank you again. Our board met this week and um, made the final arrangements to, to finish paying for the children's building and to equip it, to put the equipment that's going to be in there. And I got to tell you, every time we come together as a board to make those decisions and to pray through those things, we're just overwhelmed by your faithfulness and your trust, your willingness to give and serve and support what's happening at your church. It's just amazing. Every time we, we close our board meeting, it's with prayer that, that we would honor your trust and your willingness to give. So thank you for that. They, they pushed back the opening of the children's building one more week uh, due to some electrical uh, supply issues, but we're looking to be in there by the end of the month, and we're excited about that. So neat stuff. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning with verse 11, and let me, let me begin by saying this, friends. Sometimes we think, all of us kind of fall into this trap, 
of thinking that what we really want out of life is for everybody else to agree with us. Somebody say amen. I mean, it's not kind of what you want, kind of what we sometimes fall into the trap of wanting. I, I came across a cartoon this week, and a father was, was speaking to his son, and he said this. He said, son, people don't really want to hear your opinion. What they want to hear is their opinion coming out of your mouth. And if you can kind of figure that out, then you'll be able to get ahead in the world. And you heard about the woman who got on a city bus carrying her newborn baby. And as she got on the bus, the driver turned and looked at her and said, wow, lady, that is the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. She was kind of taken back, didn't know what to say. She made her way to the back of the bus and sat down and when she sat down, she realized how angry she was. She said to the guy next to her, did you hear what she said to me? He said, no, I didn't, I didn't hear. She said, I should go up there and give him a piece of my mind. I'm so mad I shouldn't be insulted like that. And he said, well, I don't know what she said, but if you're that upset, you should definitely go tell her. And here, I'll, I'll hold your monkey for you while you go uh, tell her about that. You know, Sometimes we think we want people to agree with us, but, but we actually don't. Maybe having everybody agree with you isn't the best thing. I share that with us because Jesus wants to talk to us about that this morning. I remember when I was a boy, maybe 9, 10 years old, and I went with my family to some friend's ranch. It was kind of outside of Eugene, Oregon, where I grew up. They raised horses, and we're out there, a bunch of cousins, some neighbors, big mob of kids. Families were getting together for a barbecue, and so us kids were roaming this big ranch area on our own, and about halfway through the day, maybe 10 kids, about halfway through the day, we were playing hide-and-seek, and... Seek and Suddenly, I found myself all alone. I was supposed to be the seeker that time. Why, I counted. They all ran off and ditched me because they didn't want to play with me anymore. I mean, when you're 10 years old, you feel that right here. I remember thinking to myself, are you kidding? They all just, they're gone. They all just left me. And I went back to the house, and there was a wood pile outside, and I sat on it. And, you know, I was pretty, pretty down and my mom looked out through the window of the house. She must have saw me sitting there on the wood pile because she came outside and she sat down next to me and she put her arm around me. She said, what's going on, honey? And oh, the kids ditched me, you know, and they don't want to play with me. And I was, I was all primed for that Hallmark movie moment when mom hugs you and tells you the, she's, you're the apple of her eye and blah, blah, blah. But my mom didn't do that. <laughs> I'll never forget what she did. She said, well, son, I was watching the way you were acting and treating, and I wouldn't want to be your friend if you behaved like that. She says, if you want to have friends, you're going to have to learn how to, to live a little differently. And then she got up and walked away. <laughs> I mean, wow, right? And I remember sitting there thinking, that is not what moms are for. <laughs> They're supposed to, you know, be that other person. And, and yet, can I tell you, that that moment, what she said in that moment, changed my life. I, I still remember it acutely to this day. Exactly what I felt, exactly what she said, and exactly what I learned. And I thought when I sat down on that woodpile that what I wanted was mom to, to coddle me and kiss me on the forehead and make it all better in that way. But the truth of the matter is now, that's one of the most precious moments that I remember of her mothering me. 
And I am so thankful for it. I've told her like four times. She doesn't even remember it happened. But, you know, I, I am so thankful for that moment. And he, here's why I share that with us this morning. Jesus is going to tell a story. And the story is about moments like that. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Remember last week we heard Jesus talk about God by telling two stories that he said God is like a shepherd who lost a sheep. He goes seeking that sheep till he finds it. God is like a woman who lost one of a very few rare coins. She searched the whole house for it. And he was saying this because people were upset that he was always around lost people, people far from God. And he's trying to teach them that, no, 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 that's what, that's what you do if you know God. And this is the third of the three stories he told in that moment. Verse 11, let's listen to Jesus. The Lord says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Give me my inheritance now. I know that someday I'm on your will and you're going to pass from this life and I'm going to inherit. I'd like that now. Give me my portion of the estate now. And in Jesus' story, the father did that. He divided his property between them. Now, let's pause for a moment and notice a few things. First of all, this father had at least two sons that we know about, and the other son had a very different attitude. They were both raised in the same home, both raised by the same parents. The other son was responsible, made wise decisions, was respectful, loved his father and demonstrated it by his life. And this son is going exactly the opposite direction. It's important for us to understand as parents that we don't have absolute control. Both these sons raised in the same home, one going this way, one going the other way. And one of the most helpful passages in your Bible about parenting is in Ezekiel chapter 18 when God in a sermon to Israel says basically to the parents of those days, remember, you don't have complete control here. You have influence, but at the end of the day, your kids make decisions. It's important for us as parents to understand that. Otherwise, we condemn ourselves, we condemn them. No, they get to make choices. Both of these sons raised in the same home, both go in different directions. Jesus told another story about this. He said there was a father who had two sons. He told him to go work in his field. One said, yes, I will, sir. And then he didn't. The other one says, no, I won't. I'm in my rebellious mode. But later he did. And Jesus said, which of those two was an obedient son? And that idea is going to be in this story. And I also think when I see the beginning of this story every time, how this moment must have felt to the father. I mean, the son is coming to him and saying, basically, you know, give me what's mine and I'm going to blow this popsicle stand and do what I want. Give me my inheritance now. Can you imagine what that felt like? And put yourself in that parent's shoes. This felt like rejection. It felt like hurt. It felt like animosity and and here is this son behaving in this awful way. And yet, despite that, what's surprising about the story, what would have immediately grabbed Jesus' audience, and, and maybe it grabbed you, was that the father does what the son asks. He gives him his inheritance. You know, most of us confronted with a moment like this would say, you back up, that's not happening. You're not getting your inheritance now. You're clearly not ready for it. And there's a time for that kind of parenting, but in this story, Jesus paints the picture differently. The father gives the son his inheritance. Why would he do that? Well, here's something we want to grasp at the outset, friends. In this story, this father is parenting for the long term. He's parenting for what we might call the end game. 
He doesn't merely want to achieve compliance in the life of his son. He wants his heart to be completely right. And he's not willing to settle for a shortcut. There are lots of parents who act as if their only agenda in their kid's life is to achieve compliance for a season. And that's a road to nowhere. That's why Jesus told that other story about the two sons. This father isn't aiming for that. He's aiming much higher in the life of his son. His goal in his son's life is that his son's heart would be completely right towards the father, towards his family, towards himself. It's kind of like that moment in the Avengers Endgame movie. Do you remember that? When Doctor Strange says there's only one way that we beat Thanos. There's only one way. And he says it to Tony Stark who's going to have to make the ultimate sacrifice at the end. He says there's only one way through this. Look at that. I just inserted Doctor Strange in a Sunday morning sermon at church. Give myself props for that. But he says there's only one way. And this is a moment kind of like that. The father knows Hey, he, he can achieve a degree of compliance if, he, if he's more strong in this moment. But he chooses not to be. He knows there's only one way this story really ends well. Now, the story goes on, verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. He gives in to those foolish impulses that afflict us more so, it seems like, when we're younger. And he just sets out to to blow it all in wild living. Why do you think we sometimes seek what we think we want in wild living? It's interesting to reflect on that. G.K. Chesterton said famously, the man who knocks at the door of a brothel is looking for God. He doesn't know it, and he won't find him there. But that's what he actually craves. His son's looking for something. He thinks he's going to find it in wild living. So he goes off, and he squanders his wealth. And he begins to collect the consequences of making bad choices. He thinks he's getting what he wants, but he's really sowing the seeds of misery. Look what happens in verse 14. After he had spent everything, there came a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Yeah. Suddenly the tables turn. Suddenly the situation's different. The money runs out. The wild living is no longer available to him. And he finds himself experiencing the consequences of his actions. Every one of us has been there in one way or another. But it's an open question whether we'll continue to have that experience. This son is having that experience. After he had spent everything, he began to be in need. You know, in moments like this, church, lots of people blame God for the famine. They say, God, if there only there hadn't been a famine, this wouldn't be so bad. But in fact, you and I are able to recognize that the son has made some awful choices and the consequences of those choices are coming. I mean, the flip side of this is if he hadn't squandered his inheritance, the famine would come and he'd not only be able to take care of himself, but he might be able to help those around him. We had a saying in our home growing up, if you ask my son, he can repeat it. He didn't always love it, but he knows it. And the saying in our home was, life is hard, sin makes it harder. So don't make it harder. The son is experiencing that in this moment. 
And church, we've got to understand that when God draws boundaries in our lives or God gives us commandments and then we break them, his response isn't because we've somehow broken his rules or disrespected him. It's because he knows the consequences we will face as a result of our actions. God hates sin because of what it does to us, not because of what it does to him. And this son is experiencing that reality. And in the story, Jesus says, verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. A couple things worth noting here. What most of us tend to do when we experience the consequences of our actions, our consequences of bad choices, the consequences of sin, is we try to fix it ourselves. We say, oh, I, I, can, I can put this back together. I can resolve this. I can restore the situation. The son sets out to do that, but he finds out that he doesn't have the power to bring that to pass. And in fact, the citizen that he hired himself out to gives him such a low-wage situation that he's sent to the field to feed his pigs. The Jewish background of that is this, is this is the lowest job imaginable. Pigs were unclean animals in that tradition. Here is this young man tending them in the fields. And, and his wages were so low that he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Why did no one give him anything? Well, I'm sure a lot of people were saying, hey, you made your bed, now you lie in it. Hey, these are the consequences of your actions. Now you're stuck with them. I'm not responsible for you. You're on your own. You did this. You get yourself out of it. And the son is experiencing all that condemnation alongside the consequences of his actions. He knows he got himself into this situation. And church, that's where sin always leads. We say to ourselves in the moment when we choose to disobey God, in the moment when we choose to go against his ways, we say to ourselves, I know there'll be consequences. I'm prepared for that. I'm willing to pay the price. But the price is always greater than we thought. It's like when you make that first purchase with your new credit card, and then you discover that there's interest, and then you discover there's this whole reality behind it. The son is experiencing that. I know a man, met him almost 30 years ago, who made a decision one night to drive drunk, was involved in an accident, and as a result of that accident, a little girl lost her life. I sat across from the desk with him on many occasions and looked into his eyes and saw what he was carrying. Can you imagine living with that weight? Can you imagine carrying that? The son is having a moment like that. The consequences of his actions have come home to him. Now, often in a moment like this, we try to deal with the consequences of our sin by blaming everybody else and by trying to get everybody else to agree with us. I remember another man I knew many years ago came to me in his office, in my office, because he had hit his wife. So I had court-mandated counseling, and we're talking about this. I said, brother, there is never an excuse to hit your wife. And here was his response, but she makes me so angry. I said, no, no, this isn't about her. This is about you. There's, it's never okay to hit her. He said, but it's not okay for her to make me angry. We went back and forth about this. I was trying to teach him something and he was trying to argue with me and get me to agree with him. And a couple of months later, he, he attacked her again, broke several of her ribs, broke her arm. And today he's in prison. And I think to myself, I wonder if he's still saying, but she make me so mad. He was trying to get me to agree with him. A lot of times we do that with God. But listen, church, we can't discover the love of God by arguing with him. 
We discover it when we let him change our minds. That's what this son needs. And like a good parent, the father in this story wants to change his son's mind. And that's what eventually happens. Look at verse 17. When he, the son, came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. When he came to his senses, he said, you know what? My dad was right about a lot of things. I thought I was, but I can see now that he really was. How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And I'm starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father. I've come to my senses. I no longer want to argue. I'll set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Now we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But first let me invite you to hear Jesus say, the son came to his senses. He said, I'm wrong, God, you're right. I wanted to argue with you and change you to my way of thinking, but now I see that what really needs to happen is for you to help me change my thinking to match yours. It's just like that moment on the woodpile with my mom. When she said that to me and then walked away, a part of me was like, are you kidding? But then another part of me was like, wow, there's something to learn here. There's something to, to discover here. There's something to, to be changed by here. The son is experiencing that kind of moment. But you know what, church? Our society today is trying to do the opposite. We're trying to argue with God, get him to agree with us about a whole lot of things. Because we think that if we can just change his mind, then we'll be better off. My teenage son used to do this all the time. Until he got a little later into his teenage years and he realized that wasn't going to happen. So we had this great moment when he was presenting his case to me about something that I wasn't going to allow. And about halfway through it, he stopped and he said, I know what's happening here. I said, what's that? He says, you're going to listen to every single, single thing I say, and then you're going to say no anyway. I said, yeah, that's what's happening here. But I'll listen. I'll listen to the whole thing, right? I'll hear you all the way out. But at the end of the day, the answer is still going to be no. God wants to have that kind of a moment with us. So often we try to change his mind when what we really need and want, just like me on the woodpile, is to have him change our minds. A lot of people in the world today think that getting rich is the road to being happy. And so we give ourselves the pursuit of wealth and material success. But here's what the Bible says. Here's what God the Father says. First Timothy chapter 6, people who want to get rich, who make that their ambition, fall into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. God's, we say, God, no, I, I want to be rich. Then I can serve you better. Well, maybe, but God says, it's the wanting to get rich that will get in the way of serving me. Let me change your mind about that. Let me invite your ambition to move in another direction. So sometimes we think that getting famous uh, or having you know, lots of notoriety is the road to happiness, but God says it isn't. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 5. He said, how can you believe, how can you connect with God if you accept praise from one another but make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from God? If your attention is captured by trying to capture attention, you won't be able to experience the joy of knowing God. God says, I want to change your mind about this. I want to change your mind about this, Greg. I want you to think differently about this. You don't need to get me to agree with you. You need to let me change your way of thinking. Our society says that lust is the road to happiness. 
If you can have a a lot of sex with a lot of people, then you'll find yourself fulfilled. If you can change the boundaries for sexuality that God has established, then you'll find your way. And God says, no, that's not real. That's not true. First Corinthians chapter six, God says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. He who sins sexually sins against his body. We don't need someone to tell us gay is okay. We need to listen to God telling us it isn't. We don't need to to convince God that promiscuity is okay. We need to listen to him saying that it isn't, that there's a better way, that there's a more joyful way. And when we let him change our minds, that's when we discover his father heart for us. Because at every point in the whole journey, he wants nothing but the best for us. That's why Jesus is telling this story. What I feel isn't who I am. Every parent of a teenager has felt the need to try and communicate that to their growing young person who's discovering all these new experiences. God, in the same way, wants us to listen to him. Revenge isn't the road to happiness. Power isn't the road to happiness. Remember back at the beginning of this story, Jesus was offered power over all the governments in the world. And he said, no. That's not the way forward. That's not the way to the kingdom of God. We could go on and on. You get the idea. Think of it this way. If your drug-addicted child asked you to embrace their addiction, what would you say? You say, no, honey, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. Even though it makes you feel bad in this moment, I'm going to keep telling you this is wrong, and we need to put this behind you. If your child comes to you and says, you know what, mom, I'm just the kind of person who has a temper and I hit people. You're not going to say, well, okay, I embrace who you are. You hit people. No, you're going to say that's wrong. And in the same way, God invites us to let him change our minds. That day on the woodpile with my mom, I resented what she was saying. I was angry with her for not taking my side, but she loved me too much to take my side. And that's how much God loves us. And that's why Jesus is telling this story. The son is discovering something, but what the son discovers is more wonderful than he could have ever imagined. Let's continue to follow the story. But first of all, let me invite you to notice something. The son says, he came to his senses. He says, I'll go back to my father and ask him to make me like one of his hired hands. In other words, the son says, I know I've blown it with him. I know I've insulted him. I know I've disrespected him. I've wasted the inheritance that he gave me, that he provided for me. So things can never be like they were before, but I can go back and maybe he'll hire me to work on his farm. Maybe he'll let me live in his bunkhouse. You see, what's happened to the son, and here's the real tragedy, friends. This is the turning point this morning. What's happened to the son is his vision of who God is has been warped by his sins. He thinks that now, if he goes back to his father, the best he can hope for is to be made a hired man. But if you know the story, that's not the reality. That's not the truth. Isaiah the prophet put it this way in chapter 59, verse 2. He said, your iniquities have separated you from God and your sins have hidden his face from you. You see, what sin does, church, when we go against God's ways, is it distorts our view of him. And we begin to believe that he is less than he actually is. That's what's happened to this son. When we insist that God would agree with us in our sin, we cut ourselves off from his father heart. 
So Jesus continues this story. The son comes to his senses, heads back to be a hired man. And some of us might say, well, good, he's learned his lesson. And now by being a hired man, he'll learn another lesson. But that's not how the story goes. Verse 20, Jesus says, but while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. The son did not see that coming. He did not expect that at all. What did he picture? He pictured walking into dad's house, facing him with downcast face and confessing his errors and begging for restoration. He probably imagined getting yelled at, getting, getting told, I told you so. He had a lot of pictures of what was going to happen. This wasn't it. But this was the reality. The father saw him from a distance while he was still a long way off and he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he surprised him. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son was thinking, whoa, I didn't, what? Uh, what? I didn't see this. And that's where so many people are. Their sins blind them to him. Their incessant efforts to get him to agree with them prevent them from ever confessing and therefore ever discovering God's heart towards them. I remember many years ago, I moved to Idaho to, to serve a new church, and there was kind of a three-month delay. I moved there. My family was back home in Lacey and uh, tying up loose ends and so on. And, and so for those three months, I was by myself over there. And then came the time when Rhonda caught up. She drove over. Everything had been taken care of. The house was sold, all this kind of stuff. And so she comes over. Now, at this time, Isaiah was about two years old. And I was staying with some friends in the church. They had a house up on the hillside outside of Moscow. Had a long driveway. It was like two miles long, curving through the pastures down to the freeway. And I was sitting on their porch watching and waiting when I saw Rhonda's car turn onto that driveway. She started coming up the driveway. And I couldn't just sit there and wait for her. I jumped down off the porch. I started running down the driveway, right? And she's coming up, and it was a couple hundred yards from the house. I got to the car, and I ran right past the driver's side door, and I opened the back door, and I grabbed Isaiah. Rhonda won't let me forget about that to this day. <laughs> but I hadn't seen him in three months, you know, and then I grabbed her. But I remember what I felt in that moment when I ran. And, and, and at the end of it, God said to me, I'll never forget. He said, Greg, you know in the prodigal? That's what I was feeling for you when you came home. That's what I feel for you every time you come home. I think back to that moment, I go, wow, God. Jesus says that's how the father is. He runs to the son, and he doesn't say, you've blown it, but we can get you back to level B, and we'll put you in the bunkhouse, and you can be a hired man. No, he embraces him. He kisses him. He pours out his compassion on him. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, says the son. He can't believe this. He can't grasp this. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 21. See, when we're swimming in sin, we think we know God, but we really don't. We've actually become blinded to him. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. The best robe in the house. Put a ring on his finger. That restores his sonship. That's the sign, the seal of his authority. Put him back in his place as my son. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. The son did not see that coming. But that was the truth all along. And it was only when he came to his senses and said, you know what? Instead of trying to get my father to agree with me, I need to agree with my father 
that he discovered who his father really was. Can you imagine how it felt to him to find out how wanted and welcomed he was in spite of everything? Listen, if you're far from God, God wants you to feel that. His father heart to you has always been the same. And when you come to your senses, you will discover that this is how he felt about you all along, that you were always wanted, always welcome, and that he's eager to restore the place that you thought you'd lost forever. I remember right after I graduated high school, joined the service, and I was sent to a duty station in Iceland, way out in the middle of the North Atlantic. And you want to talk about homesick. You want to talk about lonely. I'm 18 years old. I'm all by myself on the other side of the world. When I first got there, it was rough. And there was no bailing out. There's no going home to mom and dad. There's an ocean in the way. You're not going anywhere. I remember being overwhelmed by the loneliness. And I was there about four weeks when bunch of my buddies from high school, my best friends, we had a circle of about five of us. We were just best friends, had been for years. They got together on an average Friday night to hang out like we had done so many times, only this time they brought along a cassette tape player and they put a cassette tape in it and recorded the night. A cassette tape is this little piece of plastic that has tape. You can record on it. It's kind of like a MP3. Okay. Right. But no, they spent the whole evening just goofing off in one of their garages. But the whole evening, they brought me along with them. And they just made a cassette tape recording of it, like two and a half hours long. And then they just mailed it to me. And I got to tell you, I was overwhelmed. I sat in my barracks room and I bawled like a baby. I wasn't a tough Marine in that moment. I was like, oh, they want me. They still want me. They wish I have a place I belong I am one of them. Listen, church, Jesus tells this story so that you and I would feel that. He wants us to know that when we try to get God to, disagree, to agree with us, what we end up doing is blinding ourselves to who he is. But when we say, God, you're right, I want your ways, when we do that, we discover that he was more wonderful than we could have ever dreamed or imagined. We never discover the truth about God until we admit he's right about things. That sin is sin, but grace is ours for the taking. The Bible puts it this way in 1 John chapter 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. <laughs> and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And not only that, but to purify us from all unrighteous. The word righteous means to have right standing. It, give us back our place. And that's what the son experienced. And that's why Jesus tells this story. And that's what we really need. We do not need to change God's mind about things. You don't need to change his mind about things. What you and I need is to have him sit with us like my mom did on the woodpile and say, hey, son, daughter, the way you've been going is not the way forward, but the way I have for you, it is the way forward. That's when we discover his grace. Russell Moore puts it beautifully when he says this, for too long, we have mistakenly called people to invite Jesus into their lives. But the truth is that Jesus wasn't, doesn't want to be in your life. Your life's a wreck. <laughs> what Jesus wants to do is invite you into his He wants, there we go, we're back. Thank you, Shane. He wants us to experience his household, his family, 
his fathering. And that's what we really crave at the end of the day. The Bible says that where sin increased, grace increased all the more. In other words, God's heart for you and me gets bigger the more we struggle. The only danger, the only danger, and here's where we wind this up. I'm gonna finish with the story. The only danger, and it's a very real danger, is that we will reject this grace that he offers us. That we will say, no, God, I insist on my way. I reject your ways. I know that you would welcome me home, but I'm not coming home. That's the danger. Because that blinds us to God forever. If we reject him, we cannot have him at the same time. But it is when we say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, that we find out how wonderful he is. Let me finish with a story. In this story of the prodigal, Jesus tells us about a father who knew that his son would not, could not find wholeness if dad went and rescued him from the consequences of his actions. So dad waited at home for his son to come to his senses because in the end, it's not whether we're in a pigsty or not, it's whether the pigsty is in us. I have a friend, I've known him for more than 20 years now. Knew him as a young man, now he's a middle-aged man. We're still friends. He used to be part of God's household. He used to call God his father. He used to call people around him, brother and sister. He used to be part of God's family, but the day came when he said, I want my own way. I have some different ideas about things, and I'm going to go pursue those. And he made a decision to plunge with his whole heart into a lifestyle of homosexuality. He and I continue to be friends. I don't love him any less. I love him more in a lot of ways. And this has been going on now for almost 20 years, but here's the thing. About every year or two, my friend comes back to see me. And he always calls me up and says, hey, you want to do lunch? I always say yes. We get together and we talk, and the conversation goes the same way every time. It's amazing to me. First we chit-chat, then we start talking about real things and deep things. And then he starts saying this to me, you know, Pastor Greg, this, this lifestyle isn't what they say it is. It's not working for me. I don't have great relationships. I just keep collecting more hurts. I know this isn't the way forward. I know this isn't the best way for me, but gosh. And I say the same thing every time. I say, brother, come home. The Father loves you. He's always loved you. He wants you. His heart towards you hasn't changed one iota despite what's happened in your life. You think it has, but has it? He loves you. He's calling you home. I want you to come back. My friend goes, yeah, you know, I, I should, I should. And then as we talk, I can almost see him visibly start to harden again. I say, oh, come back. And he says, ah. But I think, I think, I think, I think, and by the end of our conversation, he's made a decision to go back to his lifestyle. And I always think to myself, well, I'll see you in another year. I'll see you in another two years. The message will be the same. I'll be waiting. The Father's love never changes. He's waiting for the day when you come to your senses. And that's when you will find what you were looking for in all those other places. When you rediscover that you're a son and that your Father's ways are best. If you're here and you're far from God, know this. He's waiting for you. He's seeking you. The door is just waiting for you to come to your senses to say, you know what, God, you're right. I was wrong about my anger, about my greed, 
about my attitude, about my sexuality, about my pride, about my temper. God, you're right. I want your ways. And in that moment, when we confess, we discover who he really is. And it's always more satisfying than what we thought we wanted. So I wonder if this morning you don't need to say, God, your ways are right, my ways are wrong. He's listening. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this story this morning. We thank you that you came to teach us who the Father is. That our hearts might find what we've always been looking for. Jesus, some of us, like this young man, are clinging to our own ideas, our own way of doing things, and it's not going anywhere. Help us to come to our senses. Help us to recognize that we're wrong and he's right so that we can discover how much he's always loved us, welcomed us, wanted us. Lord, help us to come to our senses, we pray. God, we pray for those around us who, like this young man, are far from you. Teach us to wait in prayer for them. Teach us to be there to talk. Teach us to be like my mom on the woodpile and to tell the truth that they might discover who you really are. We pray for that this morning. If that's you and you're far from him this morning, just know this. In this moment, you can say in your heart, you can say to God in your heart, I want to come home. And he will run to you. He wants you. He welcomes you. He always has. He can purify you from all unrighteousness. He will forgive you. You just got to be willing to go home. And Jesus tells this story so that you would know that. Thank you for your word, Lord. Send us from here. Hearing you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah. Yeah. He's more wonderful than we think. We find it out when we let him change our minds. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon, church.